1: Plus
0: five, four,
1: three, two, one, zero, all engine running. off. we have
0: a liftoff, and welcome into the first episode. I guess the first official episode of the Bama on Three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, and I'm sitting here today with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how are you doing this morning, man? I'm doing great because it's football season. Yeah, we're finally here, and, and I couldn't be more excited to be finally able to hop on a, uh, a podcast with you. I know that this is new for both of us. We've both done podcasts. I was doing the Bama Beat. You still do the the Locked On Bama and do a fantastic job That's over true. there. But just getting you know, kind of the team together, the Bama On Three team, the BCS Alabama team together, man. I don't know about you, but I'm excited to get this thing started.
1: Yeah, it's been a lot of fun uh, working with you, working with Nikki who handles our, uh, recruiting. Uh, the board is great. A lot of fun discussion on the board with uh, football so close coming off the big Alabama scrimmage scrimmages past Saturday. So lots to talk about on the board. Uh, the premium content is great. Even the national on three people, uh, Chad Simmons is the the head of uh, a recruiting. He's got fantastic stories all the time with, uh, with Alabama's primary target. So, uh, Man, there's a lot of Alabama stuff to talk about. And I'm just real privileged to be on the same team with uh, with you, Clint, and with and with Nikki.
0: I appreciate that. And and you know, I'll say this. I had a boss uh, back during my first job selling manufactured homes actually in Northport, not too far there from Tuscaloosa. And he used to say all the time, what a deal. And that ten dollars for an entire year, best deal I've seen as far as getting sports coverage content. You know, that's less than a dollar a month. Fantastic deal. If you haven't already, go sign up for the premium content. I'm going to be delivering it as far as the written stuff. So is Nikki. We're all going to be contributing on the message boards. Jimmy does a fantastic job of creating engaging conversations. We have a lot of fun over there. So just want to say, uh, you know, go definitely sign up for uh, On3 Plus if you haven't already. Um, Today, Mailbag Man, uh, you know, we got several questions, Twitter, message board questions that we're going to be diving into I'll kind of read them off, you can respond. We'll kind of create a conversation. And it's like I said in the uh, kind of introductory episode where I was highlighting how we're gonna run the show and everything, I've, you know want to have the listeners involved as much as possible. and and there's a, you know, um, you know obviously the 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 mailbag questions are an excellent way to do that. But as I said on on that episode and the Nikki was actually talking with Jimmy and I, through, uh, our group message and suggested that we maybe have some kind of live game reaction, um, type of podcast where callers are able to, or fans are able to call in and give their input on a game win loss, you know, whatever. And so I think that's going to be really cool if we can work that out somehow. Um, but you know, Jimmy, are you ready, brother? I am always ready to talk about Alabama. We'll dive right in and we'll kind of We'll get to the actual Alabama, current Alabama players, but we'll start off with an Alabama in the NFL question from Cole Thompson, at Mr. Cole Thompson on Twitter. He asked, which Alabama QB in the NFL throws for the most yards in 2021?
1: You know, I, I, the answer is, is Tua. I mean, that's the safe answer. And By the safe answer, I mean, I think he's, de- he's almost certainly going to be the starter all season long if he's healthy. With the other Alabama guys, I I just worry about, you know, is Jalen going to be, because I I, I do count Jalen, I insist on counting Jalen Hurts. Absolutely. Uh, Is he going to be the starter for all 17 games? I'm not sure I bet my my life on that just yet. Um, I'm, I'm also very tempted to go with Matt Jones because of how impressive he's been in the preseason, but. But Coach Belichick has has yet to name him the starter. It's not certain he's going to start. So I think the safe bet and the right bet for me is Tua in Miami, uh, who's also, I think, looked really sharp in the preseason. So I, I go with Tua. What, what what do you think, Clint?
0: Man, I think that's got to be the default answer, um, you know, because there are question marks that are unknowns with both of those two other guys. As far as Jalen Hurts, obviously he's going to – you know, um, have production as long as he remains the starter, which outside of them trading for Deshaun Watson, more than likely it's going to be Jalen Hurts all year. He's going to get the opportunity to prove that he's the long-term franchise quarterback. What would have made this question a lot more interesting uh, would have been if they would have asked which QB totals the most yards, because then you start factoring in Jalen Hurts' legs on top of his arm. And I think that, you know, Tua is obviously – a lot more mobile um, than giving credit for, but I think that Jalen Hurts would be able to make up a lot of ground as far as his rushing yards compared to Tua's, or of course Mac Jones. Um, so yeah, to, I think Tua has to be the default answer, and it's possible now because you, the answer just a couple of days ago to this question, you would figure that Mac Jones would have automatically been eliminated just because you would have assumed that Cam Newton was going to be the starter in week one. That might not be the case because of this, you know, whole, you know, having to sit out five days or whatever for the COVID protocols and the, the, you know, what that created within that locker room and stuff. And the fact that the Patriots aren't really happy with Cam Newton for how he handled that situation, that potentially opened the door for Mac Jones to start week one. So you could see all three quarterbacks, um, you know, as in the lineup, in the starting lineup for the first game of the season, but even with that, uh, I trust the Patriots offensive line a lot more than I do Miami's. Uh, that's my biggest concern for two of this year is, you know, they haven't been able to establish a consistent run game, a complimentary run game. I worry about the the injuries to the receivers, but the Dolphins offensive line is the biggest concern. But I think he's got to be the, the, the default answer, you know, at least right now. And we're we'll kind of just take it from there. I think all three have success this year, though. But we'll move on to the next question. And this is from JT on Twitter, second and 26, but there's no D on the and, second and 26. He asked, biggest year one impact, freshman only, no transfers, on offense and defense. Jimmy, who you got?
1: Offensively, uh, I'm really, uh, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm adamant based based on on what we've seen through fall camp. I'm, I'm almost adamant that it's JoJo Earl on offense, I think. I think he's going to play with the ones, uh, meaning that that first quarter, put it this way, I believe first quarter, first game, you will see JoJo Earl out there with John Mechie and Jamison Williams and Slade Bolden. I, I think he is a first-team receiver, uh, and he might return punts. I, I, I'm sure that's still up in the air, but I think JoJo is going to be given a chance to be the punt returner uh, Slade Bolden, sort of the default choice back there. Uh, if JoJo has trouble, you know, fielding fielding the ball. But no, I'd say JoJo Earl on offense. Defensively, you know, all summer I would have said Kool Aid, and I, I think defensively I'm going to stick with with Kool Aid. But I'm less. I, I was I, Clint back going through April May. I was like. Kool-Aid will beat out Jalen Armour Davis and he'll be a true freshman starter at corner. I'm not so sure anymore. I I think Kool-Aid will still be, he still has a chance. And I think we're going to see him play and he'll probably be a mainstay on special teams. But we return so many experienced guys on defense. Clint, I think it's going to be tough for a true freshman to be an impactful player on the defense this year. There's just
0: too much experience returning.
1: My answer is Kool-Aid. I think we'll see much less of Kool-Aid than we will of, say, Jojo Earl on offense.
0: See, I'm right there with you. Um, And I think that the defense is a lot harder to predict because there is so much more returning talent. There's guys already established in their roles kind of across the board. You're only looking to replace a couple of starters, and then you've got all these guys who have been kind of waiting in the wings. You've added you know, a transfer in Henry To'o To'o. Um, he was going to be involved in the mix and then you got, you know, uh, Jalen Moody behind him. And now you got a nice little threesome there at the top and potentially Shane Lee involved. So you look at a guy like Deontay Lawson, who you would say, I think that he could have made a first year impact at a lot of places, but I don't think he's going to get the opportunity to this year. It's kind of the same with Terry Arnold. Um, so for me, just because, you know, with Patrick Sertan leaving, you're looking to replace that, uh, perimeter corner opposite Jalen armored, or excuse me, uh, opposite Josh Job. You know, Kool-Aid is going to have the opportunity to win that job outright. Um, and what I like about Alabama's secondary in general, but especially you know, with Kool-Aid, is we're expecting them to have a dominant pass rush, right? Um, and what can that lead to? It can lead to more opportunities for the secondary, and I think that that fits Kool-Aid's playmaking style perfectly. So I really like his ability to not only get the playing time needed to have a big impact, but his ability as far as game-changing plays, kind of like Malachi Moore last year, you know, he became known as that guy because he was able to create turnovers and big moments and, you know, momentum shifts and all that stuff. So I definitely think he would be my defensive player. Uh, Offense is a lot tougher because there's a lot more, um, you know, opportunities for guys. You know, you said, you know, JoJo Earl there at wide receiver. I think you can make a case for, you know, most if not all those four freshman receivers to potentially get involved in the mix. And I think that Earl is probably the best pick based off of what we've heard in camp. Uh, which I find interesting because he's the only one of the four that didn't enroll early. So it, it's right. the fact that he's able to get on campus in just a couple of months over the summer and already create this buzz. I think that only speaks to his talent and, you know, it's probably going to lead to him getting on the field. But for me, my pick is JC Latham, you know, with, with uh, Kendall Randolph's injury that opens the door, you know, does, you know, JC Latham end up taking advantage of that work his way into the starting lineup and stay there. I think, uh, I think that will be interesting to watch. But for just what they need there at right tackle, obviously the ceiling with J.C. Latham is probably a lot higher than Kendall Randolph's. But, you know, right now the main thing that's working in Randolph's favor is the experience factor. But if Latham gets in there, gets some opportunities with the ones and gets comfortable to a point where that advantage of, of having the experience maybe is minimized a little bit, I think the natural talent ends up taking over and they go with Latham. So I think at some point this season, that's the way it goes. Maybe it ends up being week one, but he would probably be my choice for the offense. And this next one, this next question is going to be quite a, it's it's a mouthful. So bear with (laughs) me, but John on Twitter asked, what are your thoughts on Darian Dalcourt over Chris Owens at center? I like it personally. And I noticed in today's practice footage that Owens was with the backup players in one clip, probably reading too much into it. Jimmy, is John reading too much into it?
1: Uh, yes, and no. I saw exactly what John was talking about. Uh, I saw those photos. And, you know, uh, my initial thought was not to make too much of it. Uh, because it's literally a photo with zero context, and it would be silly to make too much of it. However, two things: number one, uh, number one, uh, some pr- some scrimmage observers, some practice observers, uh, you know, based on things that have been kind of written about and passed around in text messages and stuff. You know, Chris Owens apparently didn't have a great day making the snaps on Saturday. I think there's some some rough snaps. During the scrimmage. Secondly, post-scrimmage, in Nick Saban's comments, uh, he he indicated that multiple jobs on the offensive line were open and, and that it, it, not everything on the offensive line is settled. So when you factor that in with those photos and the fact that the coaching staffs, multiple, multiple offensive line coaches that have worked at Alabama, have bragged on Darren Dalcourt. It's not just Doug Marone, it's, it's the offensive line coaches that came before him, going all the way back to Brent Key, who recruited Dalcourt, uh, they've, they've, they've been high on his potential for a long time. So I think when you factor all that in and look at the photos, I will not be stunned if if Dalcourt is the starting center against Miami. I, I, I'm not going to be surprised, but my official – final my final answer as they say on who wants to be a millionaire assuming that show's still on i have no idea but my final answer is uh we're making too much of the photos
0: yeah and i'm right there with you um man it's actually it's an interesting question because it's something that i've kind of thought about as long as he gets those snaps down with his experience and his talent and the fact that you know he's been around for forever i think chris owens is going to probably be the guy uh, out the gate, but we also can't forget this is now Darian Dowcourt's third year in the program. They've talked about him, like you said, for the last you know two years. Uh, as far as you know, even when he was a true freshman, he was getting you know um, talked about as far as the coaching staff and his potential to get on the field early. And here we are going into year three, and we just haven't been able to see it yet. So that's got to happen at some point. I don't think he's fallen off the radar or off the map to a point where he's never going to live up to the potential that was set early on for him. It's just a matter of when does that end up happening? Uh, This simply could have been a message for Chris Owens to say, hey, you know, if you're not getting the job done, it doesn't matter what your veteran experience is. It doesn't matter that you've been a starter at points for us. We'll go with another option. You've got to play, bring your best and be your best every single day. And if you're not doing that, we'll find somebody else who can. And, you know, hopefully, which I think that he's certainly capable, but Chris Owens is able to respond to that in a positive manner and, and get the stuff corrected that he needs to get corrected. But the fact that Dowcourt is is kind of putting himself in that competition when there really shouldn't have been one in a lot of ways, I think that speaks to his talent. And I think it's only going to make both him and Chris Owens a lot better. So I like that answer, Jimmy. I think you're spot on there. Um, I would not be completely shocked if that ended up happening either or I wouldn't be shocked if Chris Owens went through the entire season as the starting center to, to kind of wrap up his career, career in Tuscaloosa. Next exactly. Troy on Twitter asked, which number is higher this season? I love this question, by the way, which number is higher this season, John Mechie's touchdowns or Will Anderson's sacks?
1: <laughs> I've been bragging nonstop on Will Anderson lately. Uh, uh I, I you know the number of sacks is sort of hard to it, it's in some ways harder to rack up a lot of sacks in this age of of the up-tempo game and quarterbacks taking the snap and getting it out quickly and everybody's quarterback is is really half of a point guard you know they're, they're just trying to distribute the ball as quickly as possible and it's not like the old days where a non-mobile six-foot-five guy would take the snap and, and, and lumber his way through a five-step or seven-step drop. And, and, you know, some pass rusher would have, you know, multiple seconds to get to the quarterback. And it, it's, it just doesn't work that way anymore. So, you know, the Derek Thomas days of a 27-sack of a season, uh, that, that's just gone. It's just impossible now. Uh, heck, it was kind of impossible then, and he did it anyway. So I, I think Will Anderson, I, I said the other day on the On3 message board, the Bama On3 message board, where we talked about this, I said Will would, would have 13 sacks. I was a little, uh, not literally, but drunk on Will Anderson. I think when I posted that, I was just <laughs> real excited about Will. That 13 number is really high in retrospect, but it's also less than one a game assuming Alabama plays 13, 14, 15 games. And, you know, there's some people that, that, that counted up saying Will had as many as seven sacks on Saturday in the scrimmage, and that's what sort of led to my, my, my post. But I, I'm going to say that the answer is Will. I think Will Anderson will have more sacks than Mechie will have touchdowns, but it'll be close. I think both of them will be in the 10 range uh, but I'm I'm still I'm still drunk on Will. I'm going Will here.
0: And you know, if you look last year, John Metchie had six receiving touchdowns. Will Anderson had seven sacks. So they're right there in the mix. And so that's what I loved about this question is, you know, I thought I had an answer initially when when I first read it, um, and then I started thinking about it I'm like, man, I don't really know because you got to think. You know, last year, Devontae Smith was a huge target hog. Um, you know, Jalen Waddle he only played in, you know, I think a little bit less than half the games or a little bit over half the games. Maybe I think it was six or seven. But point being, I mean, he was involved in the mix early on, and then he kind of got back involved later on in the season in the national championship. But now John Metchie is going to be working as the number one receiver. And, and you would think that that would lead to a bigger, tar- a bigger target share and more production from a touchdown standpoint. So if you look at that six touchdowns, you automatically say, okay, well, that number is definitely going to go up and it should go up a significant amount. Yeah, he should be able to, to break double digits and, and potentially outdo Will Anderson and Sachs, but at the same time, becoming – and it was a question that we had for Devontae Smith last year, right? Is you're losing Jerry Judy, you're losing Henry Ruggs third, Devontae Smith, who had led the team in receiving a lot of that, you know, the year before last in 2019, was the fact that Tua Tungavaloa Tua was told – Look, you got to take what the defense gives you. And when you're looking at those other two receivers and the way that defenses were scheming Alabama's offense, Devontae Smith was the one that they were giving him. Um, but now that, you know, going into last season, my big question was now that Devontae Smith's going to be the, the guy that they're going to be looking at the most. Is he able to um, continue to have the kind of production that he did? Can he be that true number one guy who's getting all the attention from opposing defenses? And I think that question also remains for John Mechie, especially in the early part when he's the only star, you know, uh, established guy at the position. Can he handle being the guy that everybody's trying to stop as far as Alabama's passing game, at least early on? So that's something to look at. Maybe he doesn't go up as much as you would think. With Will Anderson, uh, he's going to get a lot more attention this year. He's not a true freshman anymore. Everybody has a year of tape on him. What he does well, he'll continue to get better, obviously. But Kayvon Thibodeau, you know, last year I think he only had three sacks in a sophomore season in seven games, and he had nine sacks in fourteen games the year before. So he had triple the amount of sacks and double the amount of games. So obviously his sacks per day, per game number went down. You would have thought, okay, based off of what we saw from him, his first season getting the nine sacks, he's going to be a double-digit sack guy, and he wouldn't have even come close. he even if he had played an entire season last year. Now, granted, Alabama's got a lot more complementary talent than Oregon does, at least up front. Um, you know, I know that they have a good defense and they're good. You know, they're good up front and they're you know front seven. Don't get me wrong, but obviously Alabama's got Christopher Allen. You would expect him to find a complimentary interior pass rusher. So. I'll be curious to see how that ends up working out as well. If I had to pick one, because I, I agree with you, I think it's going to be close. Man, um, I think I'll probably still go with Will Anderson just because I question, you know, Alabama still got a lot of talent at receiver over the course of the season. They start working them into the mix. I could see John Mechie, you know, getting eight, nine touchdowns and Will Anderson cracking double-digit sacks, even though he's going to be getting a lot more attention. So I'll go Will Anderson as well, but I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and say that I feel super confident about it. Next question. PC3 on the BCS Alabama message boards, which by the way, go sign up right now. If you haven't already since the beginning of this episode, pause the episode, run, go do the on three plus it's only $10 for the entire year. Trust me, it is a fantastic deal. We're having a lot of fun over there on the message boards and with the premium content that we're rolling out for you guys. But the next question: Who is the best defender? And this is your question, by the way, which I also thought was fantastic. You end up throwing these things out on Twitter, and now you're doing it a lot on the message board as well, and it's it really makes you think. But who is the best defender of the Nick Saban era? Jimmy, I'll let you kind of explain where you went with this question initially and what the purpose of it, and then you know if you want to provide an answer outside of the the whole reason you're um, posting it in the first place, you can do that.
1: Yeah, really. Uh, as I said earlier in the show, uh, yeah, I was real drunk on Will Anderson the other day, and and predicted the thirteen sacks. And really, what, what my point of the question, and I didn't, I didn't even hint at it. Just, but my point of asking the question out loud, and I, I challenged a lot of my followers to respond. Boy, did they! I mean, I've been, uh, I've been on Twitter a long time. I looked it up the other day, Clint. It was stunning i don't always look at the twitter analytics but after after that question had been out there to the my followers for 6 or 7 hours uh there had been 29,000 impressions meaning that that question had been viewed on twitter 29,000 times it was and a fantastic uh, question man it got a lot of responses it got a lot of responses and i'm going to go with the majority and for a while I counted up, but then there were so many responses. I, I needed an accountant. I needed that Alabama Pro Updates guy who's the accountant <laughs> to, uh, to add it all up for me. But I think uh, Minka was a, was a solid winner, Minka Fitzpatrick. And, you know, since that time, and I've given it some thought, there's only been a couple of, well, three actually. Three Alabama defenders under Nick Saban have been two-time consensus All-Americans. Terrence Cody – who, who was sometimes mentioned, C.J. Mosley, who was mentioned a lot, and Minka Fitzpatrick. And I, I, think, I think the answer is Minka. I'm comfortable with that, being that he's the answer or my answer for the best defender of the Saban era. But I asked the question because when I got the answer, meaning my answer is Minka, and I'm, I'm waiting to hear yours, Clip, but my, my point is I think Will Anderson – will be the answer to the question. Now that's a projection. It's a guess. Uh, He could get hurt. Uh, He could be the first true sophomore to challenge the U S Supreme court and enter the draft. (laughs) I mean, anything could happen that that could screw that up for me, but assuming Will Anderson is healthy in his sophomore and junior seasons, uh, that's why I asked the question in the first place, because I want to make the bold prediction that, uh, hey, if the answer is Minka or C.J. Mosley or Rolando McClain or Terrence Cody, uh, the answer is going to be Will Anderson. And that was uh, the, the point of, of, of why I got that started. But uh, I'm eager to hear your, your thoughts on the best defender of the Saban era and whether Will Anderson will top that.
0: Well, it, it was interesting to me because when the, the question was first asked and I first saw, that, uh, saw it on Twitter – it was overwhelming because you start to think about it and you're like, well, he's, he's definitely the guy. And then you think, okay, no, I mean, you also had him and then you have him and the list just goes on and on as far as quality defenders that have played at the university of Alabama, you know, during the the time that Nick Saban has been in Tuscaloosa. And so what I said was, okay, let me narrow it down to about four or five guys and then try to figure out, okay, from there, let me actually go through this and give some thought to those four or five guys Minka was definitely one of them, right? The, you know, he, the Bednarik Award, the Thorpe Award, he won both of those. He's only, he's one of, I think, only three players to ever do that. Charles Woodson and Patrick Peterson are the other two. He was a freshman starter. He was, I think, the number 11 pick in the NFL draft with the Miami Dolphins, if I'm not mistaken. He just outside the top 10, might have been 12 or 13, but it was somewhere in that, you know, early, just outside the top 10. So he's definitely a guy that you got to consider. Jonathan Allen is another one, in my opinion. 28 and a half career sacks. He's second all time on the list, which is absolutely wild when you think about it because Derek Thomas had 27. He almost matched that in one season. That's a record that's never going to be broken, but that's a conversation for another day. But I thought that, you know, with the fact that he multiple seasons of having an impact and, and, you know, getting up there near double digit sacks, he was being talked about as a potential number one overall pick before those shoulder uh, issues kind of creeped up during the the draft process when he was being evaluated. Rolando McLean, the intelligence on the field, completely unmatched, huge off-ball linebacker, strong, physical, was perfect for that era, uh, you know, the, the early Saban era. As far as playing the position and being intelligent enough to be able to handle all the duties of playing the position. Um, and then the other for me, and and this is where, you know, I started thinking about it. Quentin Williams is one that I think you have to consider. You know, I, I think that him only playing one year or having one really impactful year hurts him but it might be the single most dominant season of of an Alabama defender during the Nick Saban era. You know, he was just an absolute terror for opposing offenses. And so I considered that, but at the same time, I decided to go with, you know, know, one of the more established guys who had been around and and had that impact for longer. And so ultimately, uh, it was down to Jonathan Allen and Minka Fitzpatrick. I ended up going with Minka because I agree with you just what he was able to provide, the fact that he was able to get on the field as a freshman when that's kind of hard to do where it can be at Alabama at times. I thought that was kind of the deciding factor um, for me. So we agree. We actually agree on a lot here. But uh, now we're going to get into a little bit more of the fun questions. The last two, PC3 got in another question on the, the BCS Alabama message boards, and he asked, excluding Yay Ye- Ye- Alabama, which is your favorite college football fight song? that was, you know, I kind of wrestled with that. It's
1: more, it was more fun to pick out a Saban defender, to be honest, PC three, (laughs) but, but when I was thinking about, I was thinking about going with one that was real controversial in in terms of Alabama fans. (laughs) And I'm not even saying I like it, but I will say that Rocky top is very iconic. I mean, it's iconic. It's, it's. It's what I almost immediately associate with Tennessee. And when I think about other teams that Alabama plays, I don't associate their fight song with them. I mean, uh, whether you're talking about LSU or Florida or or even Georgia, Auburn, I I recognize their fight songs. I know what they are. But, man, when I think of Tennessee, I think of of Rocky Top uh, immediately. So I almost went with that. But in the end, I just – I'm just uncomfortable, uh, giving Tennessee credit for anything. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say it's hail to the victors. Uh, I, I, I it's just old timey. It's traditional. Uh, it, it's college football. Uh, it just feels like Saturday afternoon. Uh, when, when you hear the band strike strike up hail to the victors. So I'm, I'm, I'm going with, uh, with that.
0: You know what it. <laughs> I thought this was a fun question because, I mean, honestly, there's a lot of fight songs out there that I know, but I don't know them well enough to be able to attach them to a program. So I was like, okay, I actually need to go listen. And I think that uh, PC3 did a great job. He shared that video of, you know, the top 25 uh, fight songs, and that certainly helped as far as being able to recognize, okay, that's with, you know, this particular team and, and so forth, you know, whatnot and so forth. As far as my decision after some back and forth, the nostalgic factor, you know, of Arkansas's fight song. And the reason that it's nostalgic is anybody that played the NCAA football games, I don't know what it is. I was trying to figure out, okay, why was that the case? But their fight song, um, was like the one that always played in the background. When you first load up one of those NCAA football games, I don't know if it was 2014, the last one that they created or one before it, but just as soon as I heard it, this nostalgic, feeling came over me and i realized man that was the one they used to play and i don't i, I certainly didn't pick arkansas as my favorite team on there i don't know why uh that was the kind of default or one of the defaults that was played maybe because arkansas is one of the top you know from an alphabetical standpoint uh up there uh maybe maybe not but it's just i'll absolutely love it it brought that nostalgic factor so that was what i ultimately settled on rocky top was one that i thought about going with because i agree with you it's recognizable. Um, it, it's, it's around a lot. You've heard it so much over the years with a rivalry with Alabama and Tennessee. So that was one that I considered, but ultimately ended up going with Arkansas. Final question. Bax21 on the BCS Alabama message boards asked a question that I still don't fully know that I have an answer to. It, it is an extremely <laughs> difficult question. He asked the depth at Alabama is insane right now with multiple backups being good enough to start elsewhere, where do you think our second string would rank preseason slash finish this year?
1: Yeah, it's really a loaded question and I tend to make complicated. Maybe it's the lawyer in me. I I hear a complicated question and then my answer ends up being 10 times more complicated than even the question. But, you know, one thing about and, and the second string, and, and I did like the post, by the way, it's very informed. You can tell this this, this, dude, knows, this dude knows the team really well. Uh, if you go with what he projected as kind of the second team and said, where would you, you rank this? Uh, a lot of the guys on there were freshmen, and they're, they're freshmen that I'm excited about. We, we, we talked about earlier in the show, Clint, about, you know, Terion Arnold, Kool-Aid, Jojo Earl, J.C. Latham, uh, Deontay Lawson. Uh, I think Ja'Cory Brooks is a guy that's going to going to play and maybe be a significant player by the end of this season. Um, and, and then there's freshmen that, that we won't see much of that are still going to be great players like Kendrick Blackshire. Uh, I think Tommy Brockermeyer is going to be really good one day. Uh, but the point is, yeah, the talent level of Alabama's second team, the perceived talent level based on recruiting hype, but... When you list these guys that haven't played yet, you're just talking about a projection and a recruiting ranking. And Alabama's second team would rank, rank extremely high next to a lot of first teams around this league. I would say even as high as maybe that Alabama second team would be third or fourth in the SEC. But if you literally put those guys on the field and put them on the road, against any sec team i'll just pick a random one uh south carolina or, or not even old miss because we know they can score but let's say let's say south carolina or mississippi state if you put that team on the road against south carolina or mississippi state this season i think they would have an extremely difficult time winning the game they're just not experienced enough there'd be a lot of bust there'd be uh you know uh just just a lot of bungled plays a lot of penalties uh, the noise would bother them playing against grown men. I know that, that our guy is a five-star and you're playing against Mississippi State's three-star, but, but their three-star might be a fifth-year senior that's been playing in games for three years and is a, is a, is a grown-ass man, you know, and, and we're sticking our really talented 18-year-olds out there. Uh, so I would just caution against, I know we have an extremely high perceived talent level and based on the Saban era, it's fair to assume, yeah, those guys are going to be really good college football players. But when the lineup is made up of so many guys who have never played, I wouldn't assume they would win a lot of SEC football games. So that's my long, complicated answer.
0: Well, um, and that's kind of where I landed on it too. And the reason being is, we saw examples of this, right? Um, one of the big things that helped Reuben Foster transition into being an Alabama superstar is the fact that he was given the time to develop behind the scenes. He wasn't asked to go out there as a first year player or even a second year player and go be that superstar. So the only thing that Alabama fans saw when he became a starter was superstar. Um, and, and that's something that we didn't get to see as much, a couple of years ago with that defensive line, right? You know, you had a lot of guys due to injuries and and departures and things like that, um, kind of having to step into roles early. And what Alabama's coaching staff likes to do is only play those very talented young guys in situations where they are confident and uh, comfortable to where they can allow that talent to kind of you know, um, overcome any sort of lack of experience that they have. And then as they get more comfortable, just playing in game situations, you know, seeing it going against certain guys, uh, you know, across from them and things like that, they start to learn the nuances of what it takes to win. And then they're able to get more comfortable doing the other stuff. And then eventually you work them into a starting role. Now that's not everybody. There's plenty of Minka Fitzpatrick's out there and, and other guys who kind of started from day one, but I'm just saying that that's what, that's the ideal situation for Alabama. And so in this instance with a second team, based off of the list that that was given to us on who that would be included on that, you're right. The the inexperience I think would be too much to overcome because you'd have way too many guys who are being forced into roles, whether it be an every down, you know, being an every down defender, whether it be, you know, being an every down running back or whatever the case may be, where they might not be as comfortable. Early on in their careers, they will be, you know, you let them develop for a couple of years and then let them get on the field. If you look at Trey Sanders right now, if he gets on the field, I understand that he's been banged up and injured the last two years, but this is his third year in the program. I think that you are going to see a much different player in year three than you would have seen in year one, even if he would have been ready to contribute. He would have been only out there in situations where he was comfortable and and Alabama knew the coaching staff knew that they could trust him I think that makes a huge difference. So I agree with you, but here's the thing. Um, We were asked to rank them and I don't know how I feel because that's my answer. But if someone said, okay, we're going to need you to actually rank them. Are they still a top 25 team? Are they, you know, a a six and six regular season team? What do you think, Jimmy? Uh,
1: I'm going to, I'm going to go with, with, I'm going to go with, yes, it's a ranked team. uh, And yes, it's, it's a good team. I, I, I would even be comfortable saying top 25, but I would never say top 15 uh, and, and, and kind of bouncing off your answer, Clint, which was so good. And I agree. A, a perfect example. You know who was a second string player in reality for Alabama two seasons ago? Christian Harris. He, 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 he did great. He did great in fall camp and moved up to second team. But then he became a starter because the starting inside linebackers, the veterans, the guys that they were hoping would be the starters got hurt. So our second string guy, Christian Harris, he had to start, okay? And when we played games all season long, opposing offensive coordinators when watching tape of Alabama said, hey, this number eight guy in the middle for Alabama, Christian Harris, we can take advantage of him. We can get get him matched up in the pass game. We can confuse him. We can send multiple blockers at him and just kind of remove him from the run game. We can confuse him easily with our fronts. So Christian Harris, in some ways, was practically a liability as a freshman. Now he's experienced an experienced true junior. Now opposing offensive coordinators are, are, go, are playing in their game going, we got to stay away from eight. He's a beast. <laughs> we have to stay away from that guy. He will wreck what we're trying to do on offense. And I think that's just a perfect example because we actually saw a second string inside linebacker play an entire season, two seasons ago before he was ready. And, you know, I'm not going to say it was a complete mess. We won a lot of games and coached around it, and played around it. And, and frankly, the dude had a lot of natural, natural ability, at least once per game that season, I was going, Oh man, Christian Harris is going to be so good one day. That one day is just not today, but, it but it's coming. And uh, I think that's just a good example of, of what we're talking about here, that talent is one thing, and it's a huge thing, and talent will eventually win out. But you have to have some level of experience and game action to go out and win SEC football games. So that said, it's still a really talented group. There was a lot of guys on that second team who had seen some game action. I think against this Alabama schedule that we're going to play, a team like that would finish somewhere around 7 and 5 uh maybe 8 and 4 as a ceiling and be ranked in that you know 16 to 23 area.
0: And and that's I, I definitely agree. I, I was maybe not quite in that fifth or 16 to 23, but I was thinking definitely maybe I think ceiling late teens more than likely 20 to 25 but you know speaking to to what you were talking about Christian Harris when he was a true freshman Uh, When Joshua McMillan went down and Christian Harris became the guy, the one thing that he could rely on is he could look to his right or his left, depending on, you know, uh, strength. And Dylan Moses was supposed to be playing next to him who could tell him what he was supposed to do. He goes down with an injury as well. Now you got Shane Lee who's playing next to him. They're looking at, you know, to each other, pretty much every play, trying to know what they're supposed to do when they are confused or not confident what they're doing. And the other guy doesn't know any more than they do. But the one thing that those guys could rely on is they could turn around to the, you know, Xavier McKinney or some of those, you know, Shaheem Carter, some of those veteran members in the secondary who kind of, you know, guide them and help them along the way. You look at this, you know, uh, this secondary on the second team that he's got listed, you got Kool-Aid, you got Kyrie Jackson, who's never played, you know, a major college football game in the sec. Uh, you got a uh, Christian story, you know, the fact that you would have Brian branch, I think would be pretty big, even though he's still young, he's still learning. But Daniel Wright is a very veteran member of Alabama's uh, secondary, and he would be a a crucial piece in this instance because all those other guys around him are so inexperienced. And so I completely agree. There would be a lot of areas that you could exploit, whether it be Alabama defensively or offensively, Uh, just the offensive line. Not a whole lot of experience. you got two, you know, true freshman bookend tackles and Tommy Brockermeyer and J.C. Latham. Um, I think that that would be very exploitable, even though I'm not entirely sure that Brockermeyer would be ahead of Amari Kite. Uh, based off of what I've seen in fall camp, I think Kite would be probably be the guy, and that's a little bit more experience at least. But I completely agree. It's a very difficult uh, ask as far as, you know, these. even though these, these guys are, are, are talented, a lot of times when you see true freshmen on the field – you're seeing them working with a lot of veterans who understand what it takes to win playing at Alabama, who can kind of guide them and show them the way. If you just took away the first team and you had all these second team guys, you wouldn't have that ability. And I think it would create a lot of confusion and a lot of problems on game day. So I would probably say seven and five to eight and four would definitely be the range. I agree with that. I still think they could be a good football team. And I think that by the end of the season, they would be a much more, you know, they might be ranked down there in the 20 to 25 range, but by the end of the year, they might actually be on paper and, and, you know, a a top, you know, 15, maybe even a top 10 team. It's just, you wouldn't want to play them. But by that point, the losses, you know, had already kind of mounted and, and it's kind of happened. So I agree. I think that's a fantastic answer. I appreciate you joining me today, Jimmy. This has been a lot of fun. I know you're going to be joining me from time to time and can't wait to talk more episodes. Tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter.
1: Sure. Uh, Twitter, uh, I'm, uh, small letters QB underscore country because the, the big letters are for, for the big boss, David Morris. But I do some, I do some part-time work for uh, for QB country and, uh, and help out the uh, quarterbacks with the uh, recruiting process that are being trained by QB country. So that explains the Twitter handle, but uh, in terms of what I really do my full-time uh, gig is with the Bama on three site. And I really encourage anyone who's listening uh, $10 uh, to read the message board alone is, is a heck of a deal. But then throwing the premium content, I just assure you guys, Clint is one of the best Alabama beat writers on the beat, period. Uh, and, and to read his premium content, reporting on the team, and Nikki Chavanel and recruiting, real hardworking. She's got two or three premium stories a day You know, interviewing Alabama's targets. What I like about Nikki's work the most is it's just a fan is – she doesn't interview the wrong guys. She, she, you know, Nikki's board is, is Alabama's board. And, and I'm not saying that's because she, just because of her great sources, it's just you're, you're Nikki's not doing work, uh, writing up stories and interviewing kids that Alabama is not going to offer. I mean, she, she is on top of Alabama's recruiting board. And uh, the fact that you can pay $10 for a whole year of it, is insane. And, uh, a little hint for you guys, it, it's not going to be $10 in future years. Will, one, one day it will cost what it's worth right now. It's, it's a 90% off discount. So, so, uh, really everybody needs to take advantage of if I wasn't working here, I'd have paid my
0: $10. Absolutely. And, and it's like I said, it's not just about, uh, the content, which that's certainly an important part of it, but we also like to have fun. And I, I think that the people that we already have on the message boards have done a fantastic job of, you know, kind of following your lead and creating engaging content. They bring interesting angles. They ask interesting questions. We love answering those questions, uh, just like we enjoyed and love answering the questions today. I've had a lot of fun doing this, Jimmy. I hope you have too. Um, you know, if you want to find me, you can find me at Clint, R. lamb, certainly go sign up for BCS, Alabama. When we say $10, we don't mean $10 a month, which is what, you know, you would assume and and it'll probably eventually get there. But right now it's $10 for the entire year. So I cannot stress enough, go sign up, take advantage of that deal, get involved in the conversations. We want to hear from you guys as much as we possibly can. That's going to do it. This is the first official episode we've run, you know, a little bit longer than I think that we intended. Um, but I've enjoyed every second of it. I hope you have too, Jimmy, and we'll talk again soon. This has been the Bama on 3 Show.